Look forward to retirement and avoid the pitfalls. Keep listening for ways to maximize your retirement income. More than money with the Popowich Carmelli Advisory Group, CIBC Woodgundy, on News Talk 770. Lifestyle matters. It's more than money. Welcome to another edition of More Than Money on 770 CHQR. No Faisal today. I've got Rob Geary joining me, uh, uh, an advisor on the Popwich Carmelli Advisory Group. Welcome to uh, welcome to the show, my friend. Yeah, thanks, Dave. Good to be here. Yeah, well, we big got shoes to fill. What they say <laughs> little shoes, little <laughs> shoes, dude. We get to take risk-free shots at Faisal all day long. <laughs> Stick around for that, if nothing else. <laughs> Listen, we got a really interesting show. There's been lots of. Uh, Lots of scary stuff taking place in the markets and lots of volatility and lots of questions about what's going on. And we've got a unique opportunity to talk to a gentleman today who has um, a go-anywhere global mandate in any asset class. Mm-hmm. So, boy, if you can go anywhere in the world and you can pick any in- asset class to invest in, where would you go? So stick around for that. I think um, Michael always brings some very interesting insights in, into the world. But let's talk a little bit about the markets again, because we saw some very sharp trading days today, mm-hmm. um, driven by, uh, again, a pretty high print on inflation in the U.S. Sort of, what's your take on sort of the market's activity or reaction that we saw over the, the you know, the, that trading period? Yeah, we had some, some up days, down days, sideways yep. days, mm-hmm. right? Uh, even inner day, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And with the commentary from multiple individuals yep. on speculation on what is going to happen with central banks. Right. Right. Are they going to raise rates? Is it going to be five or six raises this year? Right. Or is it going to be a half a point increase in March versus Is it a going to be a full quarter big one? point? Right. Yeah. We don't know that. Right. So the market is starting to try and digest that. Yeah. And price that in. Yep. And you know where where asset classes are going to go. And where we are going to go, we're going to hear more from that from Michael. You know what, what what's interesting, and I think you picked up on um, on an important point. It, the market activity was driven on comments made by various members of the U.S. Federal Reserve, mm-hmm. and the U.S. Federal Reserve officials. Some said, "Hey, you know, we're going to be pretty cautious about how we approach these interest rate increases," and some said, "No, we are going pedal to the metal. We are jacking rates like crazy," <laughs> and. Depending on which day you looked at, <laughs> that comment had a material impact on the trading, right? And it was fascinating, and it speaks to the uncertainty of it, right? So investors maybe are unsure as to uh, how fast and how far, and it, you know, it would appear that when the dovish comments came out, markets rallied on that, and then when the hawkish comments came out, all of what was gained was given back, and then there was sideways trading and everything else, right? It gives you a sense, though, since the next Fed meeting is not until March, what we might be in store for. Mm-hmm. More volatility. More volatility. Yeah, I, I think that's exactly right. What about your thoughts on... Um, so so markets are pricing in five or six interest rate increases. In fact, I would argue they're probably pricing in now a full 50-point increase in mm-hmm. March, not 25. Yeah. And so from a go-forward perspective, you know, give me some thoughts or insights that you're thinking about with respect to what that you know what it might look like mm-hmm. given that that's already being priced in well, I think it gives potential opportunities right right we can we can make fun of them but the the shop maybe's out shopping today <laughs> Basil on his shopping list yeah <laughs> looking for some of those opportunities yep. if we're pricing in now what we expect 
and we're setting that basis, then we're looking at the full broad-based market, how it's priced in currently, PDE, P&E ratios, yep. and earnings coming in. Yep. Right? You talked about that last week. Yep. Pretty strong. Yeah. Yeah, they are. And it's, it's not... The recovery phase uh, of an economic cycle, it's, this isn't inconsistent with what happens, right? And, and I think it's important investors recognize that, that they're, as we come out of the, uh, well, sorry, as we get deeper into the recovery phase, at some point, central banks don't need to be providing mm-hmm. all of the um, extra stimulus that they need to when we go into recession and try to stabilize the economy. And so naturally, through any recovery, they have to take that out, and that's what we're doing now. And the sequence of... of the sequence of events that take place in, um, in the market often determine the amount of volatility we have. And you look at the beginning of this year, all the volatility driven by markets focus on inflation and rising interest rates. So mm-hmm. that's, that was the focus, and this repricing took place and arguably still taking place this past week. Um, but we are uh, uh, in the midst of earnings season. Mm-hmm. And there will be a number of earnings seasons going forward uh, through this year, each quarter, of course. And so if the market is, is priced this accurately already, that, that's already priced in. Mm-hmm. And at some point, we get, to, we get to get back to just the fundamentals, right? You're right. The earnings that you talk about. Okay, so what do you, give me a sense of, of, you know, you're talking to, uh, to clients and there's, uh, there's nervousness about this. What are you telling them? Well, the nervousness, the nervousness from clients obviously comes from, from headline, right? right? They're seeing either inflationary data or commentary on a daily basis right. or geopolitical risk right. on a daily basis. And we've been through these things historically. Sure we have, yeah. Right? So talking through clients and saying, yes, we're in some moments of volatility. Actively, we can look for things that are going to help. Yeah. But also... This isn't the, your retirement or your investment thesis or our investment thesis isn't short period of time either. Yeah, that's interesting, right? People tend to be uh, long-term investors with short time horizons. You're right, right? <laughs> it's yeah, it's very it's very interesting, and it's emotionally charged, right? I I, I get that. Faisal, I've done a number of shows on that, and of course you've been part of those conversations. But it's it it becomes incumbent on people to um, to really think a little bit long, like. To, to stay true to that longer-term mm-hmm. vision about uh, about what we can expect. So the markets will, at some point, correctly price uh, what inflation hikes are. I, I get where they come from, though, right? Yeah. It, 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 they're all going to the grocery stores. Well, let's talk about that. Let's talk about that. So definitely, if you're filling your tank up, you're going to the grocery store, you're, you, you know, and you're paying attention, you're likely feeling that. But how many calls have you had from clients who have said, listen, I need more money this year um, because... My, you know, my my personal inflation rate has gone up. Mm-hmm. Have you had a lot? A, f- a few, a few, and, and it's interesting. I'll tell you why that there's been a few because the few are living differently than the other. Yeah, right? and the few that are living differently may be traveling, right, or spending more. Well, so let's talk about travel, which is interesting because I, I'm going to make a trip to Vancouver, and I, I boy, I picked up a flight recently, and uh, now my wife booked it, so I could be slightly off here, but. I'm pretty sure it was a couple of hundred bucks for a flight, <laughs> right? That that's super cheap, is f- from what I can remember on a pre-pandemic basis. So, there are things that are cheaper. There are things that are more expensive. The reason I asked you about the personal is, um, is you said a few a few people have called. 
I've not had a whole lot of phone calls. And the fact is that we are, we are facing inflation. I'm not trying to diminish that. But people's lifestyle have obviously changed. We've been locked down. We haven't been able to do a lot of things, mm-hmm. right? And so it'll be interesting to see historically when we reflect back on this, whether the spike in inflation sort of worked itself through the system and really didn't have any material impact right. on people's you know, daily lives. Yes, I'm spending more on groceries. Yes, it costs me more to fill up my tank. But I haven't been doing these other things. And therefore, my personal inflation rate really hasn't changed. I, I think that's that'll be a historical analysis that we can do. Well, I'll throw it back to you on that side. Yeah. On We're goods-centered incentive inflation right now. Right. Now that things are opening back up. Right on. Does that transition to the service side? I, I think it naturally has to. Um, ser- services would represent typically about, let's call it two-thirds of spending um, for families pre-pandemic. Um, good spending represents now about 70%. Mm. Uh, because we can't do anything else, right? right? So you're just buying stuff. Um, but people are, are uh, one, they've got lots of stuff now, don't need more stuff. And then when the, that, that piece of the economy does open up and travel and people feel more comfortable about it, I think a lot of that, that spending gets shifted back there. So it'll take some inflationary pressure away from the goods pieces, but it might add some inflationary pressure in, you know, in, in services because I'm not sure flights are going to stay as cheap as the one I just... Supply and demand. Yeah, exactly. So I I think it'll be a very interesting analysis to do um, historically. We have a regular recurring guest come back, Michael Sager, who's going to be joining us here in a moment. He's a vice president, multi-asset and currency at CIBC Asset Management. And Rob, what makes Michael uh, a unique and I think a really valuable guest for us is this idea of Mm multi-asset. So Michael and his team get to look at uh, all kinds of things, commodities, currencies, um, precious metals, stocks, bonds, and take a look across all those asset classes to determine where the best opportunities lie and where the best uh, or where the biggest risks also lie and how to both protect and profit from that. Right. So uh, always encouraged when Michael joins us. Welcome back to the show, Michael. Appreciate you joining us and taking some time with us today. Thanks. Always a pleasure to be here. Michael, we're going to start with this idea. I, I, I probably did a bit of a haphazard job of introducing the idea of multi-asset here, but you um, uh, are a group of of portfolio managers run a particular strategy that's a multi-asset absolute return strategy. Now, that's a mouthful for most people, and really maybe where we'll start this conversation is because I do think that you're in a unique position to look across all asset classes. Give us a sense of what a multi-asset absolute return strategy is all about. Well, it's about trying to add value regardless of whatever risk is in front of you. So if you think about, you know, the volatility we've seen in the markets over the last several months caused by, you know, worries about what uh, the Bank of Canada is going to do or worries about what the uh, Russian army is going to do, thinking about COVID, all of those present challenges. And the objective of a multi-asset strategy is to have enough tools in the toolbox, enough assets at your disposal that we can pivot where necessary to uh, to add value regardless of what's in front of us. So that that's the uh, the challenge. That's a that's a really good sort of segue into because into what's going on right now. You talked about. Um, you know, various risks out in the market. There's always things to worry about. It doesn't really matter what period of time you're talking about. But 
Investors have, have come out of 2021 and into 2022, and so right out of the gates, Michael, there's been a ton of volatility. Um, and maybe we can just start there, share with us your, your insights as to where that volatility is coming from, and then we'll do a little future gazing later. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's two primary sources. One is geopolitics and what's going to happen between Russia and the Ukraine or Russia and, and NATO more broadly. So that's one. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but that so far has been the, the, the minor player as it is. The, the major risk has been around policy. What is particularly the US Federal Reserve trying to achieve? How quickly are they going to take away some of the, uh, the liquidity in the economy? Can the economy stand on its own feet with central banks tightening? What's going to happen to growth? What's going to happen to inflation as we move forward? So I think trying to digest and understand central bankers has been the big uh, risk so far this year. Well, and, and Michael, if, if you're able, I'd like to, you to speak just a little bit about uh, where we are in the process because, you know, again, it doesn't matter wh what crisis we face. Typically, there's some pretty common elements of when we go into the crisis, central banks tend to respond in a certain way. Economies repair themselves over time. Then we get into this acceleration or growth phase and central banks, you know, uh, operate uh, under certain conditions there as well. And maybe you can speak to us about where we are in that cycle right now and maybe give our viewers a little, little bit of a historical expectation of, of what tends to happen when we're coming into and through a recovery phase. Yeah, absolutely. Well, where we're at now is that I think central banks have, have suddenly come to the view that we've got too much of a good thing going on in terms of growth. Um, if you think back a year or so, when uh, inflation started to increase a little bit, everybody talked about it being temporary. We were in that camp too. It's temporary due to some bottlenecks, whether it's shortage of uh, computer chips or shortage of cars, whatever it was. Uh, over the last couple of months, central banks have pivoted. They now think that we've got more of an inflation problem, a persistent one, than they thought. So they need to be more proactive in terms of slowing the economy down. Now that doesn't mean crashing the economy. It doesn't mean trying to generate a recession. It means trying to slow growth, slow inflation, so that we can sustain this uh, cyclical upswing that we've, we've been in for quite a while now. So that's where we're at. It's a hard job to precisely achieve a nice soft landing where growth is good, inflation is low, and risk assets are just fine. It's a pretty difficult job. So there's risks on either side. Central banks, as I said earlier, might do too much. They might do too little, which leaves them needing to do a lot more down the road. Either of those risks are, are problematic. So we're trying to land on this very narrow, you know, we used to call it Goldilocks scenario. We're trying to achieve that nice landing. 
you know, our best guess is that they'll achieve it, but it's not without risks. So that's the backdrop. Let's think about what that means for, you know, assets like equities and bonds. Well, yep. when when central banks start to tighten, of course, or signal that they're going to tighten, markets get nervous, they get volatile. It tends to be a little bit of a problematic uh, month or two. But then when we get used to what the Fed, the Bank of Canada are trying to achieve, things settle down. You know, growth is still good. That will still be okay for equities. Um, so that's the normal course of events. Um, and so I'd expect that to be the, the course of events again this time round. Some short-term volatility followed by okay, unspectacular, but okay uh, returns to uh, risk assets like equities. Mm -hmm. Michael, and you, you, you've given us um, a, a pretty good idea that there's lots, lots of things to think about. And there is some uncertainty as the path going forward. And we know that the markets hate uncertainty. So it is reasonable, Rob, to expect mm -hmm. that there is going to be volatility um, in various, uh, various as asset classes. After the break, Michael, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about, um, I want to get your sense of which asset classes uh, are benefiting from uh, you know, the current environment where we need to protect. But I, I, I am curious just on your thoughts around inflation. We get lots of questions about inflation. Of course, we've had some very high prints here recently. It can, it, you know, inflation in the United States in particular tends to, or seems to be trending still a little bit higher. And the market, of course, is trying to figure out what that means from a central bank perspective. Uh, my, my expectation or the reading is that markets are pricing at something like six interest rate increases and one, maybe even a supersized 50 point increase. I'd like just to get your sense of of whether you think the market is getting a little bit too hawkish uh, based on the guidance that central banks have given us or what your what your you and your team's feeling is around interest rate increases here yeah i i'd say i think based on the the latest guidance from central banks like the fed the market is, is probably there or thereabouts um consistent with our view uh, as you just laid out in terms of, you know, five or six rate increases over the next uh, year or 14 months, something like that. You know, on inflation, arithmetically, we're probably near the peak and we'll start to see a, a slowdown in year-on-year -year inflation rates. The challenge is that, as I said, we've, we've seen a, a spread of the cause of inflation from temporary bottlenecks to some more evidence of uh, wage inflation. And what the central banks need to avoid is a wage price, wage price spiral. So when wages feed off of prices and prices feed off of wages, that's the right. key. So even if arithmetically inflation rate will probably start to fall back in the spring, it's what's under the hood which is the real deal. Mike, uh, you gave us a good outline on, on you know, what the risks are out there on a macro level right now. Maybe you can give us more of an insight onto where some of the opportunities lie since your fund has the ability to go to multiple asset classes. Maybe you can give us uh, uh, where, where you're looking for opportunities right now. Yeah, absolutely. But just to build on the point that you guys finished up with on the last section, 
you know, equities are, are the cornerstone of long-term investment portfolios for us. So, you know, use that as context that equities are, are really important in portfolios. But, you know, sometimes we need to think about do we tactically need to underweight or overweight equities in our multi-asset portfolio while still remaining in the market? So, for instance, at the moment, U.S. large cap equity looks vulnerable to any further um, surprises in terms of um, Fed rate increases. It's tech heavy. Uh, tech companies tend to have a very long horizon in terms of the profile of their earnings. And that long profile makes them vulnerable to surprising increases in interest rates. So we're tending to um, move a little bit away from US large cap, look at other sectors, other markets. So international, including Asia, including Europe in equities look attractive to us. So that's definitely something we're thinking about which sectors or which country indexes are most attractive. Canada to us would be one of those attractive country indexes given the composition of that index. So definitely thinking about uh, differentiating between markets and sectors. In, uh, in the Mars strategy, we think about fixed income a little bit differently. For us, it's all about return per unit of risk, not the total return, because we're al allowed to use a little bit of leverage, for example. If you think in those terms, some developed market sovereign bonds are becoming increasingly attractive. Canadian sovereign bonds, for example, is a position that we've started to add, both from a return per risk perspective, but also as a hedge against uh, other parts of the portfolio. So that's a little bit counterintuitive for a traditional balanced portfolio, but it's certainly a good place to hunt within a multi-asset strategy. And then the last point I would make is on commodities. You know, we're talking about a growth slowdown in the context of sticky inflation. Well, commodities are going to do pretty well in that context. So we are long uh, industrial metals, for example, aluminum, copper, zinc. Those markets also have really low inventories. So they're going to get a boost in price uh, from that lack of supply. So good growth, lack of supply, upside for commodities, which are a good inflation hedge. So those would be some of the positions we're thinking about right now. Michael, we are, of course, doing this interview from Calgary, and one of the commodities sticking with that sector that's very important to our city and our province is, of course, oil. Maybe you could give us your take and your team's take on uh, on oil. Yeah, well, obviously, it's had a really good run over the last few months. Um, again, if you think about inflation hedges, then there are none better than uh, crude oil, historically. And I think, again, that it's proving that um, right now. Uh, the challenge for oil going forward is, again, if I go back to supply-demand uh, imbalances within markets, I said that uh, industrial metals 
have a dearth of supply, we think that the crude oil market is tipping in the other direction so that we're probably close to the peak in uh, crude oil right now with some downside to come because of that supply-demand imbalance. So it's not the uh, favorite place for us in our multi-asset strategy um, on a, on a go-ahead basis. The, the, the sequence in which certain things take place in a recovery, Michael, are important. And, you, we, you know, we've talked about uh, some of the very volatile moves, say, in the, in the bond markets and yields around expectations of what the U.S. Fed or the Bank of Canada is going to do. Um, a lot of that gets priced into the market uh, or has been priced into the market um, now. So the question is going forward from here in a recovery with an earnings profile expected to accelerate for companies. And you said equities are the cornerstone of a portfolio. I'd love to get your, your thoughts, your insights <clears throat> into what equity markets look like going forward. If the market has accurately priced in now what the Fed's position is going to be going forward, what should investors expect? Well, I think there's two things to think about there. One is a headwind and one is a tailwind. So on the headwinds, you know, valuations in public equities like other asset classes are relatively high. Uh, none more so than, you know, US large cap, as I was talking about earlier. So that's, yeah. that's a headwind. The tailwind is cyclical growth. Now there again, we expect to see a slowdown in growth, but to still good rates if we're right if the fed and the bank of canada successfully landers in that uh, that benign soft landing scenario i talked about so you know that's an okay world for equities as an asset class for the next few years it's not going to be as good as for example the last 12 months um we're looking at mid single digits for example for the canadian uh, TSX market. Um, to us, that's a reasonable expectation given the headwinds, given the tailwinds, but it also means that you probably want to complement that core equity holding with some other asset classes. And again, in our opinion, that's where a multi-asset strategy comes in. Michael, the, if, I, if you had to sort of pick uh, one or two areas of the world or an asset class that you felt um, people should be avoiding right now, where, what, would you, what would you look at? Well, definitely when you think about uh, geopolitical risk, we need to be cognizant of that. So make sure you understand the risks you've got in portfolios. Um, I, I think it's... Uh, it's important to assess what fits in your portfolio, um, where we are on valuations and uh, where we are on cyclical tailwinds. Again, if I, if I think about, you know, in some of the bond markets, um, we're short in the likes of German bonds and Japanese JGBs. We don't like those bond markets. In equities, we're preferring the likes of the Canadian market to the US large cap. So I, I think it's about shading away from some areas which look relatively expensive and, uh, and leaning into those better opportunities like Canada on equities right now. 
Michael, thank you very much. I'm not sure 20 minutes can do justice to everything that uh, you can share with us, but I think, as always, you've done a pretty good job of bringing some perspective to the market, the current environment, and where some of those opportunities and risks lie. Appreciate your time today. Always a pleasure, guys. Listen, what I'm interested in here, we, we, we've got to talk a little bit about, um, about what happens, whether markets are going crazy or not going crazy at a given time, retirements are long. Mm -hmm. And uh, retirement is more than just portfolio management, a successful retirement. We often talk about this notion of, um, of a retirement specialist. And I'd like to get your, your thoughts around, uh, you know, what does that term mean, a retirement specialist? And why does retirement go beyond just money management? Mm -hmm. Well, I think, firstly, Dave, let's think about retirement as a weird word or a scary word to a lot of people. Because prior to retirement, it's, it's a lot of portfolio management. That's it. Just growth. Just growth. That's right. Right? Yeah. When you hit that time when your portfolio needs to provide a paycheck to you, then it looks different. Right. Feels different. The risks are different. The longevity is different. Right. You need someone different that is going to specialize and has been through it with different clientele to look at all of those pitfalls. Yeah. Because it's not dynamic. Or it is dynamic, I should say. It's very dynamic. Yep. On a year to year basis, and especially during that transition into retirement. Yeah. But why, why, so why isn't the. Uh, why isn't success just defined by whether or not I got a good return? Hmm. Yeah. Success is not, it, it's not just the portfolio. Right. It's not just the portfolio management. And the way that we look at it and try and drive through communication is your retirement is a lifestyle. Right. What, what are you going to do in retirement? Yes, it's going to cost money. Right. Yes, we're going to have to deal with inflation. Right. But what do you want to do in retirement? Is it helping out your kids with down payments? Yeah. Is it providing a lifestyle? Is it taking care of, of elderly aging parents at the same time? Yeah, it's interesting. You start to layer in some of the family dynamics, some of the lifestyle goals and objectives. Um, and again, like you said, that everybody's every goal and objective you have is not necessarily money-driven. Right. I mean, mm -hmm. some require money to support the lifestyle. There's no question about that. But often the complexity comes from moving from a singular goal of just uh, growing your money mm -hmm. into this multifaceted period of time where you've got goals around income. Right. You've got goals around growth and protecting against inflation. And, you know, you've got to think about uh, health. I think of a number of conversations, one in particular I had with a client this uh, this this past week, and it was about um, it was about a family member who is starting to show signs of of cognitive impairment, mm -hmm. and the concern around that. There was an element of financial uh, attached to that in terms of which property or support that that family member might get. But I have to tell you, the conversation I had with the family it wasn't just one person with the family was not uh, was not about money. Right. It was about uh, assessment of their needs um, because I've been through this, obviously, with, with my mom. I've talked a lot about that. And how do you assess a proper facility? And with something like dementia, it progresses, right? So you said the word dynamic. So decisions you're making 
uh, today, you, you've got to you've got to think a little bit about in the future too as things progress, mm -hmm. and how that person will be cared for and who will be caring for them and where they're going to live, and how much disruption you want for that person, you know, um, as they progress in their disease state or whatever it might be. So, I think your point is well made that the complexity of retirement is a little bit different. Um, this notion of a specialist. Um, Specialist, we talk about on some of these broader things, but but specializing in retirement also has some implications about how you manage money and how you put portfolios together. Share with me your thoughts on on how it's different now as people move into retirement. Well, I mean, the growth stage is is let's get as much growth as possible, and so when you hit that stage and go, we need a paycheck or want to replicate a paycheck on a yep. monthly basis, right? whatever that looks like, how do you protect against a couple things? And one of them is the elephant in the room right now on, on inflation, right? but also on the volatility on the growth side that you can't handle some of those volatility because your time horizon is, is different. The ability to take on some of those risks are, are quite different. right? So if you manage them separately, and we use the term asset dedication, right? but if you asset dedicate to your lifestyle needs and what you need to not be volatile, right. then that peace of mind is going to be quite a bit different. I, I'm interested to get your, your thoughts and feelings and comments also on this inflation idea. People are really worried about that this year. Of course, we're seeing, we've seen inflation spiking for several months now, and it's likely you know, to, to remain high for a little bit into this year. Um, what does that mean from a retirement perspective? Does it mean that we have to, do, do people have to now factor in five, six, seven percent inflation going forward forever? Or what, what's the context that you would bring to this in, inflation spike that we're seeing? Yeah, spike is the key word there, right? I don't, it, it's not, is it going to last forever if central banks, right, policymakers do what they're meant to do? Right. Then we're not going to see that for an extended period. The way that we look at it is on, on an average, right, right? Right. But on a planning basis, you do have to plan for the need for more income on a on a on a yearly basis. Just things do get more costly. Yeah, the average. That's an interesting word you used, right? And and this is something that I think we've been having lots of conversations with clients about um, from a financial planning perspective, right? Do we adjust? Do we adjust the financial plan's inflation assumption to be 5% now? Because inflation is at 5%. Well, the implication of doing that is that you, you take 5% and you run it through for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. Right? So is, is, is that a valid assumption going forward when you're doing planning? Right? Given that things are going, you know, they're up and down over time. And so... What do you think about, the, we get the headlines, we get bombarded with this press, mm -hmm. right? And, and that fear sets in around, oh, inflation is going to be this. People will, I think, emotionally gravitate to that, well, inflation is going to be like this forever. Um, your thoughts, like, how, how do you counsel people through that? It's a daily, uh, it's a daily conversation with a <laughs> lot of clients. <laughs> it's different for every person. Yeah. For every, for every household. Yeah. Because we're all spending differently, right? We're all living differently, right. especially through recovery of pandemic. Right. Some people are traveling. Right. Some are not. Right. Right. So some may never again. Yeah. Some are more goods oriented. Yep. 
Some are goods and services. Right? We haven't even touched on that yet, but it is it, it is very interesting to to guide people. Yes, it's it's an average that we look at, but it's not going to be forever. Yes, if they need a what we call a pay increase, we have to have those conversations, and that's why our plans are dynamic. Right. Because we don't want the lifestyle to be affected. Right. You spent all these years working towards a lifestyle. Why is short-term spike in inflation that shouldn't increase or shouldn't determine if you're going to stay at a Motel 6 or right. Four Seasons? Right. And, and it's inflation today, but you know you could extend that to, to, to anything, right? There's, if you have an exceptional year in the market, do you assume that that's going to be the case going forward every year? No, you shouldn't. No. If you have a terrible year in the market, you assume that's going to be the go-forward position every year. No, you shouldn't, right? And so uh, when you're putting strategy together versus just reacting um, you know, to, to short-term stimulus, I'm not saying completely dismiss it, but I'm saying that you've got to make some, and I think you're saying the same thing, make some informed decisions about what that looks like over a period of time, right? Correct. Before you go adjusting strategies. The strategy might be fine. There's good years and bad years in any strategy. Is this just one of the bad years, or does it require an adjustment that's permanent going forward? Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. Well, listen. That's ultimately what we have to do uh, for uh, the conversation we have to have on an individual basis with everybody. We're going to introduce this idea of asset dedication that you raised at our next uh, at our next seminar and talk about why things get a little bit more complex in retirement. Mm -hmm. And because you have some complexity and a bunch of different goals, you need to be thinking about your assets in different ways, in the buckets. And we want to talk about that. Why don't we remind everybody the details of that? Join us for our seminar to talk about all of these and more topics on Tuesday, February 22nd at 7 p.m. This will be live online. Go to morethanmoneyradio.com to register. All right. Well, thank you for joining uh, Rob and myself, Dave, uh, for another edition of More Than Money. We look forward to chatting with you next week. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.